Everybody say heavenly places. That's where we've been sitting these last couple of days. I can tell you quite candidly that I am humbled to be in this pulpit and in this place. And I mean that sincerely. And I also want to say that we never cease, never, to be humbled and moved by the great men and women that travel here from all over this country and the world to be in these 72 hours of glory and spiritual manifestation. We thank you for coming, and we're honored that you're here. And may God bless you richly is our prayer. And everybody said amen. amen. Let's sit down and let's talk. Sometime vaunted, sometime villain. There are few figures who tower over the truths of Scripture more than Jacob. And when we join him, he has swindled his brother Esau for the birthright. He has deceived his father Isaac out of the blessing. And with his life justifiably it threatened, he is fleeing into the land of his mother back to Rebekah's harem. And while it would be easy to beguile our minds weaving this sometimes sordid tale in such a way so as to conceal to the end the real thrust of the saga, with your indulgence, I think I want to just go for the heart of it, for Jacob and for us, and to say that life is a battleground of choices in which we climb to attain, we strive to accomplish, we sacrifice to become. And then, not infrequently for not a few, we foolishly settle for something less than what we first loved, grasping something less than what we first reached for. Zeal becomes stale, joy fades, desire wanes, dreams die, and we find ourselves clinging tenaciously to something far different from what at first we had loved and pursued. So traveling alone, craving companionship and conversation, Jacob stops by a well for a drink to refresh himself. And he's intrigued to learn that these are in fact men of Haran, Rebecca's home, his mother. He scarcely engaged the men, all servants of his mother Laban's son, when suddenly he's smitten, put back on his heels as Rachel, the youngest of Laban's daughters, arrives at the well for water. Bounding back up onto his tired feet, Jacob uncaps the well and begins to draw. But I say, don't be sidetracked by the ancient nuance of the story for what follows, I think, is fascinating biblical narrative. Having seen her, Rachel, he loves her and sets out to secure this Rachel for himself. Inquiring of Laban the price for her hand in marriage, he learns to his chagrin. It's seven years of labor to which he quickly agrees and begins the task of winning her hand in marriage. To Jacob, it was all joy. So we fast forward to the work completed and the festivities arranged and the wedding is ended and the Bible bluntly 
tells us. It broadsides us with this statement that it came to pass that in the morning, behold, in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Married behind a veil, disguised by the darkness. The wily Laban had pulled a bait and switch on this unsuspecting son of his sister. And seven years of labor having ended, he had given him his oldest, less lovely daughter, Leah, instead of the beloved Rachel. And so now Jacob must decide, does he accept, albeit reluctantly, the hand of Leah and content himself to love and live with her rather than Rachel? Or does he demand for himself what he first loved and what for those seven years he had diligently labored? The next line in the scripture tells the tale when emboldened by his own desire, Jacob storms Laban's house and he's thundering as he goes and saying, what is this thou hast done unto me? What is this thou hast done unto me? And in so many of these ancient examples, thinly veiled behind the innocuous narrative is a truth for our time. The antagonist of our soul, Lucifer, Satan, our accuser, deceiver, dragon, and devil will try to seduce us into settling for something spiritual as a consolation prize. He'll try to trick us into living with something less than what we first loved. He'll try to rob us of the rich treasures of this kingdom that first caught our hearts and our eye, persuading us to settle for some secondary anointing and gifting and blessing. What is this? Thou hast done unto me. I dare say there are some in this place tonight. There are definitely some on our pews back home who fell in love with Rachel spiritually. But somewhere along the way, we resigned themselves to living with Leah. And like Jacob, not aware of the difference until the light broke through. As you could see that what you were holding was something far different than what you had been reaching for. And I'm telling you tonight, that difference between what we wanted and what we have, that dichotomy between what we first loved and what we're living with is significant. It's not semantics. It's not the figment of someone's imagination. There's more than a marginal disparity between that for which we are reaching and what we have ultimately grasped between what we first loved and what we decided to live with. And maybe even some of us here now, I think certainly some on our pews back home we need to do what Jacob did and that is storm our way through the door of the deceiver our adversary the devil who has plundered and pillaged our life of heaven's treasures we need to burst our way through Jacob's door demanding to know what is this thou hast done unto me too many wonderful men and women of God, perhaps faithful saints and pillars in the kingdom are locked in, living with something less than what we first loved. We fell in love with you hath he quickened who were dead in trespass and sin. We fell in love with faithful is he who has called you and he will perform it. 
we fell in love with he withholds no good thing from them that walk uprightly. Somebody say amen. We fell in love with faithful is he who has called you and he will perform it. We fell in love with he withholds no good thing from them that walk uprightly. We fell in love with it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. We fell in love with ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We fell in love with the assurance that he will complete that good work he has begun. We fell in love with behold I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. We fell in love with behold I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders. We loved him for bearing them witness with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. That's what we loved. We loved that after the long litany of supernatural acts, Mark 16 tells us that these signs shall follow them that's us who believe and to be sure he granted those signs and wonders here's what we love the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped and the lame man shall leap as a heart and the tongue of the dumb shall sing and in the wilderness shall waters break out and springs in the desert we fell in love with the inviolable promise that in the last days saith God I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. We loved the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's what we fell in love with. A highway shall be there. The unclean shall not pass over it. No lion shall be there. No ravenous beast. The redeemed shall walk there and the ransomed of the Lord shall come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. That's what we love. Those and a thousand other promises like them. That's what we love and we need to settle for nothing less than that. We need to do what Jacob did. We need to storm Laban's door and demand to know what is this? Thou hast done unto me. I'm not going to live with something less than what I first loved. Think on it. We've seen Rachel from time to time. We've touched her with trembling hands, been close enough to catch the fragrance of her person to stroke her raven locks. We've, we've took that long and deep look into her dark eyes. And because we have seen her, touched her, held her with trembling hands, nothing else is going to suffice. There are some who may have solved their dilemma by ceasing to look Rachel's way. They have taught themselves to be content with Leah. But I say we know better. And I sense that something has been happening here this week at the cause of the time in some of us that's going to help us to rise up from our slumber and storm the door of the deceiver's hall and demand to know what is this thou hast done unto me. Whatever the cause, we're going to find and live with what we first loved in this kingdom. Somebody shout it. Say we will. Say we will. Shout we will. Say I will. After Abram's faith had failed and 
after he had succumbed to Sarah's plan for him to sire son with Hagar, the Egyptian bondmaid. After that, son Ishmael was some 13 years of age. God showed up to renew his covenant with Abram, to remind him of the original promise and plan. That notwithstanding his 99 years and Sarah's 90, that he would indeed sire and she would birth the promised seed. So God showed up to say, I'm still going to do what I said I was going to do no matter what you've done. Amen? Abram's response is priceless. He fell down on his face. He laughed just as not a few might do when they've settled for second best, when they have learned to live with less than they first loved. Abram's solution was this. Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Abraham's choice was we've got used to him. Let, let Ishmael be the promise and let him fill the spot and let him take the place of the firstborn. We know his quirks. We're used to him. We've learned him and live with him. And I pray God give us men and women who'll storm the devil's door demanding to know what is this thou hast done unto me I pray God give us men and women who will not just settle who will not accept some secondary anointing some secondary blessing some secondary promise I pray may our great God give us men and women of God who will not agree but refuse to just live when we can have life more abundantly. Clap your hands unto God and show. It is to me, 1 Kings 22, one of the most curious passages in the Holy Scripture. It's God's cup of mercy has finally been full. The Almighty, surrounded by heavenly hosts, is actually soliciting someone, anyone, to go and deceive a man to death. So on the eve of the battle that would spell the doom of the despot king Ahab, in a signal moment of reflection and revelation, he makes what is an accurate and, in fact, astute observation concerning God's chosen people when with regard to a place, no less. Ahab says, from the lips of this despot king with his partner in crime, the Phoenician princess Tigris Jezebel, who has decimated Israel and led them down the path of apostasy. There comes this salient truth when of it all Ahab says, Know ye that Ramoth in Gilead is ours, but we be still and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. It was a city given to the Levites and priests by Moses. But beyond being a Levitical city, there were other more considerable assets. It was a high place. Somebody shout high. The very word Ramoth means high, not insignificant, towering over the region around it with a commanding view of the surrounding terrain. It was impregnable. It was difficult, if not impossible, to attack. Ramoth in Gilead was not just high. It was a safe place 
place, one of six cities of refuge, giving haven to those who were fleeing the dread avenger. The roads were well marked. The highways were wide. The paths were kept clear and the gates were never locked because Ramoth was not just a high place. It was a haven. It was a safe place. More importantly still, more than high, more than safe, a certain tree grew there on the rocky slopes of Gilead, a tree that when wounded emitted an ointment thought to heal all manner of diseases. It was the balm of Gilead that was harvested in Ramoth from the wounded trees that grew in the soil of that safe, high place. Ramoth in Gilead was a place of healing. So for some reason, Ahab, in this dusk of his days, begins to pine for this place, Ramoth in Gilead, to regret that he had not taken it sooner in his youth. And he stirs the passion of his people with a provocative statement that I think echoes still within the confines of Christ's church when he says, in fact, laments, Ramoth in Gilead is ours. It belongs to us. It's high. It's a haven. It's the healing balm. By all rights, it's ours, but we be still. And take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria, something that belonged to God's chosen children, something of value and virtue was being held in heathen hands, not because God didn't want them to have it, not because they were powerless to take it, but because they were sitting still and they were resigned to living with something less than they had first loved and the enemy had taken possession of their treasure. In this modern, sophisticated era, Satan, sifter, lion, ladder, accuser, dragon, devourer. He has embezzled not a few folk, some of us in ministry, not a few on our pews, pillaging hearts, plundering souls, pirating away our possessions. And I'm here to say that he would like to make us think that like Esau of old, who sold what he could not buy back, like Judas who betrayed what he could not redeem, like that rich young ruler who passed his intersection of opportunity, our adversary, the devil, wants to make us think that we cannot retrace our steps that we cannot reclaim our victory. But I'm rising to tell someone that he's a liar and the father of all lies and the truth is not in him. Come on, hear me now. On that single page of prophecy called Obadiah, the Bible said upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. I've come to tell you, Great God Almighty, let every one of us here in this great conference take possession of our possessions. Let's refuse to live with less than what we first loved. Clap your hands and shout. Obadiah said they shall possess their possessions. We need to go and get them back. Go get your smile back. Go get your shout back. Get the twinkle in your eye and the dance in your step. Go get it back.
Go get the clap back. Get your confidence back. Let's go and let's get it all back. Deuteronomy 28 chronicles God's promises to those who hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord. And what it actually says, if you read it, the original language, he said, I'm going to chase you down, tackle you, and bless you. So help me. That's what God said, Deuteronomy 28. I'm going to chase you down, tackle you, and bless you. You can't help yourself. I'm going to bless you whether you like it or not. He said, you'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, the fruit of your body, your ground, your cattle, your kind. I'm going to bless your basket and your store. I'm going to bless you going out. I'm going to bless you coming in. Your enemies are going to rise up before you, but they're going to be smitten before your face. They're going to come out against you one way, but they're going to flee in seven different directions. Somebody hearing me? God said, I'm going to open to you my good treasure. I'm going to make you the head, not the tail. Put you above, above beneath. I say, let's go get it back. I say, let's go get it back. Let's go get what we first love. Clap your hands and shout with a loud voice. What is this thou hast done unto me? These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents and not harm them. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's get it back, let's get it back, let's get it back. Let's go and get it all back if we've lost. What we first loved. What made men and women pack up, pull up, leave family, career, and friends, and go to some strange new city and run a, run a hotel hall and start having church? That's what we want to go get back. Let's go get back what made us do that. Let's go get back what made us want to do that. Let's go get back what sent these missionaries around the globe. Let's go get back what made men and women labor, serve, sacrifice. Let's go get it back. David, once the giant killer, was descending those spiral stairs of defeat and despair with spittle matting his beard when he feigned himself mad at the gate of a city in Philistia, begging at the door of a people whose champion he had already slain. And in the riveting narrative of 1 Samuel 30, you'll find him and his men returning to that city. Everybody say Ziklag, which they found burglarized and looted, their family stolen, their homes burned. And standing in the ashes of his life, his men contemplating and certainly capable of killing him, a distraught David, the Bible says, encouraged himself in the Lord and then called for the ephod and set about to inquire of the Lord. And this is what he asked. Do I just sit here 
Do I just sit here and absorb the loss? Resign myself to the fact that I've been stripped. My life plundered and robbed or... Do I rise up weary to the bone to be sure, but do I rise up and take back what these godless Amalekites have taken from me? And to his surprise, and to his delight, and to our joy here tonight, the God of glory answered him out of the ephod and said, I'll tell you what you do. You rise up and you pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and recover all. I've just come to tell some precious preacher or preacher's wife that may be here, God is going to help us go get it back if in fact we have lost what made us first love him. I'm here to tell you and every pastor in this place that we ought to go home to our churches and insist that every person on our pews go back, go back, go back and get what they first loved when they first came into this kingdom. I don't know what the devil has that you used to have. I don't, I don't know what the devil has that belonged to you. But I know he doesn't have it because God doesn't want us to have it. He doesn't have it because we're powerless to take it. He has it because we be still. 200 of his 600 men were too faint to fight, so 400 made the march. And they surprised the Amalekites. And they found them dancing and frolicking with the swirls of battle, reveling in their good fortune, their wicked hands closed around the sons and daughters and wives of David and his men. And something frighteningly similar has happened, I think, to some in the kingdom, certainly some in our churches, I'm sure. Hearts have been hijacked, have been taken captive by hell's unholy fiends, Consecrations compromised, dedications downsized, the way of the world encroaching upon our lives, taking what once belonged to God. And somebody needs to do what David did when in righteous indignation he set upon that enemy, attacking from morning to evening. They surprised him. They smote them from twilight until the evening. The Bible assures us that they recovered all, that there was nothing lacking to them, small or great, neither sons or daughters or spoil nor anything that they had taken but David recovered all and I pray God help us to do the same to decide here and now on this Thursday night that what's ours spiritually has been in hell's hands long enough that we might rise up pursue overtake and recover all Bible said, beloved, now are we, everybody shouted, me. Sons of God, that's a fact of our faith. We have tasted of the power of the world to come. Malachi's prophecy assures us, I am God and I change not. The Hebrew letter calls him Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forever. What he was, he is, and what he did, he's doing still. 
bearing us witness, both with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. The Messianic prophet foretold a time when he said, God will take the cup of trembling out of our hands and put it in the hands of them that afflict us. I'm confident that for some of us, that cup is changing hands in these three nights of because of the time. I'm confident that for some of us, that cup is changing hands. The psalmist saw it and said it. They intended evil against thee. They imagined a mischievous device which they are not able to perform. The devil would if he could, but he can't. Jehovah told Jeremiah, they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail for I am with thee. And the Almighty continued, I have made thee this day a defense city, an iron pillar, and brazen walls. I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, and I will also do it. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and no man shall stand before you all your days. Jump to your feet all over this sanctuary right now in the name of Jesus Christ. How many of us pastors are willing to go home to our churches and take the remnants of because of the times 23 with us and challenge our people? Let's go get back what we first loved. I want you to put your hands together, raise your voice like thunder. of the times 23 let's storm the devil's door let's demand I'm gonna rise up pursue and overtake come on let's don't stop put your hands together raise your voice let it roll like thunder in this place Our people will follow us. Our people will follow us. Let's go set every fire in the United Pentecostal Church. Let's go set every church on fire. Let's go stretch the hearts of our people. Let's go blow our people's minds. Let's tell them it's time to go back and get what you first loved when you came in this apostolic church. It's all still there. It's all still there. It's all still there. Don't live with something less than what you love. I want you to reach out to somebody near you, preferably a pastor to a pastor. Praise God, a wife to a wife, whomever. I want us to raise those hands together. And this is what I want us to pray. I want us to pray, God, take the spirit that you've imparted to me in this building, in this three days. Take what you have imparted unto us and let me take it home and burrow it in the souls of our people. Let me take it home and burrow it in the hearts of our saints. Let me take it home. Come on, pray it strong.
Come on, we're in no hurry here. Go possess it. Go get it. Go after it. Take it back. Take it back. It doesn't belong to the enemy. Thank you, Uncle Mike, for that message. Numbers 33 says, ye shall, verse 53, ye shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein. Well, why? How can I be so sure? How can I be assured that I can dispossess the enemy? Because I've promised the land to you. The land is yours. The promise is yours. The revival is yours. The healing is yours. The spoken word is yours. The dream, the vision is yours. And the enemy has tried to take it. The enemy's tried to steal it and he's in possession of it. And the Lord has said, don't just go get it. You go dispossess it from the enemy. You take it back from him. He's told you long enough. He's lied to you long enough. He's tried to destroy you and your family long enough. Take it back from him. Get your dream back. Get your joy back. Get your anointing back. Get your happiness back. Get your love for revival back. Go get it. The enemy's had it long enough. There's a battle coming. There's a fight coming, it's not easy. We don't just get to cross over Jordan and there it is. We got some fights we're gonna have to go through. Got some battles and some struggles and some wars, but I'm leaving here assured, or you are, I'm staying. I'm leaving, you're leaving and I'm staying assured that revival's coming my way. Yeah, there's gonna be some ups and downs and some fights and struggles and battles. But I want the enemy to know here tonight. I know a lot of people say a lot of things. Don't tell the devil what you're going to do in all this mess. I want him to know. You want to roll? Let's go. I'm ready for revival. Give me back what belongs to me. I've got a promise. I've been called of God. Got an anointing on my life and you do too. So go after it with everything that's in you. Don't let the enemy destroy you. Don't let the enemy take your dream. Don't let the enemy tell you your city can't have it. Go possess it with everything that's in you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Uncle Mike. Thank you for the word. Thank you, God, for meeting us here this week. What a meeting. I want to say thank you to everybody who has joined us. Thank you for coming. It's been an honor to have each and every one of you join us at Because of the Times. And I hope, I pray 
that you are assured and renewed and full of the Holy Ghost as you go back home to have revival, wherever that may be. I pray that God has strengthened you, renewed you, and assured you that 2023 is going to be the greatest year you, your city, your church has ever had. Thank you for coming. It's been an honor to have you. Do want to, for just a moment, if you don't mind, and Bishop, you can, you can step up here. You, you have some things you wanted, wanted to share, and I'll let you do that real quick, and then I'll, I'll you may do be what seated. I need to do. Man, isn't this great? Isn't God good to us? I want to invite you all to come back and be with us for Messiah. We put it on this year. It's the greatest production we've, we've ever, I mean, it's the greatest production we've ever done. It was so moving. It sold out. And uh, if you've never seen Messiah, uh, it, is, it is worth the, the flight. It is worth the driving trip. For you and your family, you would enjoy Messiah. And the last thing I ask, uh, Pastor...